Welcome to episode three of the Counting Stats podcast. I'm your host, Lou Landers. I'm the director of MLB content at drroto.com. Go check out our draft guide at drroto.com. Follow me on Twitter at Landers Talks, and you can follow the podcast at Counting Stats Pod. This podcast is made up of a number of guests I'll be having throughout the offseason and baseball season from the industry podcasters writers members of the writers association some serious xm fantasy sports personalities and on this episode i'm going to continue my conversation on starting pitchers uh continuing from an episode a week or so ago once again i'm joined by kyle amore former co-host of mine the newest writer at drroto.com kyle welcome back thank you no, i'm excited to be back excited to get part two started um i thought we went over a solid group of arms uh on, on the first half and you know now we're looking at some younger arms uh and i'm really looking forward to that yeah we discussed pitchers we want to target who are coming off down seasons or injuries guys due for regression guys who are poised to break out and now we're gonna move things over to some prospects and guys who are kind of must-haves on our teams or guys we're gonna have multiple shares of or already do i mean i've already done three redrafts i'm in a fourth right now and then of course all the dynasties and whatnot uh, big one coming up with tgfbi in a few weeks as well so trying to use all this information i've been gathering for that one but let's get into some prospect arms because there's some interesting ones all kind of throughout the draft guys you can get super late guys you can get early uh first guy here is shane baz he's one of the few prospects arms is going quite early kyle yeah, I mean, rightfully so. I mean, number 19 prospect overall. And I thought what was great about him is, you know, he got to play in the Olympics last year too. So we didn't see him early on. We saw him later in the season. But, you know, the fact that he got that experience in, you know, one of the more competitive um, tournaments around, I thought that was great for him. And, I mean, we, we saw a small sample size, but, I mean, the guy, he slides out. Um, you know, we saw him 13.1 innings pitched, but still – 2.03 ERA. That is phenomenal. Three starts, 18 Ks, only three walks. And, you know, I think that's one thing about him that makes him special is he doesn't walk a lot of guys. He's got great strikeout ability. And, you know, when he was drafted out of high school, he was one of the top arms overall in the draft, not just out of your high school prospects, but overall in the entire draft. So, I mean, what the Rays did to get him, you know, in the, in the deal that sent Archer to Pittsburgh for Glassnow, Meadows, and Shane Baz, it was an absolute steal. And, you know, seeing him early on, his ADP was 138, but now you're seeing it at 120, and he's a guy that everyone is aware of now, and you're going to see him start flying off draft boards. Oh, yeah, there's no secret about him at all. 93 innings last season in the minors and the majors, had over a 12K per nine elite whip, you mentioned, and uh, ERA just north of two overall. I think this is a guy that is going to make an immediate impact in this Rays rotation, could certainly contend for AL Rookie of the Year honors in 2022. The only downside I can find is just the 93 innings from 2021. It was a career high. Do we see him throw more than 125 in 2022? I'm not so sure. Yeah, that is one thing. Um, there's a few guys on the list that I think that's going to be one of the things to keep an eye on. You know, I mentioned uh, before there's other pitchers we saw. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a number of different dudes uh, who are kind of, you know, all over the place, really. Uh, at this point, it's 
Luis Gill is a guy, for instance, who I really like, Kyle. Uh, burst onto the scene in 2021 in a big way. Super live arm, kind of overwhelmed minor leaguers and big league hitters. Struggled with the command at times, leads to a lot of walks, kind of the opposite of Baz, if you will. Uh, but the K per nine for Luis Gill is elite. It could carry him a long way in fantasy baseball. Like Baz, though, not a lot of innings, most likely. 120 is probably his cap, um, but he could be dominant in those starts with those strikeouts. If you get 20 starts from him based on where he's going uh, in drafts, he could be a huge steal. Your thoughts on Luis Gill? Yeah, no, I, I thought he was a perfect guy uh, for this list. Um, again, last season, you know, it was the first time that he'd thrown over uh, 80 innings, and, you know, he's right over 100. And I like that, too, because he does have that under the belt. He didn't pitch at all in 2020. Obviously, we know that minor league season was canceled. But, again, with him, uh, I was really paying attention to uh, the his, uh, his summary of pitches. I mean, he was – really relying on that fastball and only going to a slider. So that's one thing, too, to pay attention to. He went 53% fastball, 39% slider, and then 7% changeup. So with him, a lot of these starting pitchers you see, you want them to have a repertoire. Right now, he's two-pitch. So he's going to have to really hone in on a third pitch. That changeup, if he can really hone in on that, I think that would be great for his success. Um, but again, he's got to watch. You know, is he going to start in the bullpen early on? Is he a guy that's going to start in the starting rotation, I, you know, when the season starts? But I, I like what I've seen from him. Um, again, 2-1 to one K to walk ratio. That's a little bit concerning. But, again, he didn't pitch in 2020. And when he came, I mean, if you look at his numbers overall with the Yankees, just under 30 innings pitched, he had a 3.07 ERA. So, you know, he's got that taste of the big leagues under his belt. And he's a guy I'm, I'm definitely keeping an eye on. You make a great point with needing that third pitch, though. I mean, eventually he's going to need it. Um, kind of reminds me of another former young top pitching prospect for the Yankees in Luis Severino. He was fastball, breaking ball, developed that changeup, really turned him into a different pitcher prior to his injuries, of course. Um, so hopefully he'll can um, kind of follow suit. You, want, you brought up a guy to me in Braylon Marquez. What is your kind of outlook on him this season? Yeah, so he was number 86 overall prospect uh, in baseball last season, uh, number one pitching prospect in the Cubs organization. And for me, I, I was really honing in on a guy that maybe not a whole lot of people know. They may have heard his name here and there, but, uh, you know, he was an interesting case. So last year was a little bit of a letdown. He didn't pitch in 2020. Last year he got COVID and then he had a shoulder strain. But with him, I look at his size being 6'4", you know, about 180, 190. And the thing is, watching him throw, looking at the the velocity he has, he reminds me a lot of a Roldis Chapman. You know, when he first came up, the, you know, or when he, the Reds first got him, was he going to be a starter? Is he going to be in the bullpen, a closer? We saw, you know, we, we know that he wound up being arguably one of the best closers ever. And so with Marquez, I look at this. So he's had a shoulder strain, right? And I think with a lot of guys, when you have – upper arm injuries like that it's a mechanical flaw more times than not are you throwing across your body um, are you open up your hips too soon and so with him keep keeping him healthy is important now he's going to go undrafted in a lot of leagues but with the Cubs the thing is I don't think he'll break team with the Cubs he'll probably start off in the minors you know missing a, a chunk of last season but with him his stuff that velocity on his fastball I think that we could see him get called up if he goes in the starting 
rotation, that's great. I don't think you'll, you know, there's there's really no reason for him to not get the innings. So he'll get the innings there. Or, say, for some reason they want him to close out the ninth inning, I think he could be one of the more electric closers in the game. He certainly could be, and he's the type of guy that could get a lot of helium with an impressive spring training if we ever start spring training. Maybe not on time, but at some point here. Another guy I'm taking a closer look at is a guy that got a bit of big league action a year ago, Edward Cabrera with the Marlins. Dominant in 2019 in both single A and double A, then dominating at the minor league level again um, in his next season in 2021, pitching at all three levels, posting a ridiculous 13.5K per nine in 61 innings, then got promoted to the majors. Um, wasn't too welcoming of an arrival, though. He kind of got batted around. High ERA, high whip. A lot of those troubles came from walking too many hitters. Uh, the walks per nine nearly doubled from his minor league career to his first MLB action. But what he did do well in the bigs was continue to rack up the strikeouts. And being taken somewhere after pick 350 currently might not crack the opening day roster, probably won't, but with an impressive spring training um, and what he's done in the minor leagues kind of sets him up to be that first starting pitcher called up in 2022 for the Marlins if there is an injury uh, of course if he pitches at an elite level at triple a um, that could you know get him to the minor or the majors faster as well definitely a guy to keep your eye on and some leagues allow you to stash a minor leaguer or two I feel like Edward Cabrera is one of those guys that is perfect for that spot yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I think it's going to be important for him to start at AAA, just way he can see and face guys that are major league ready. And I, I think one of the things that stands out with Cabrera is the fact that, you know, we just were talking about repertoire, but with Cabrera, I mean, he has four pitches he'll go to. He'll go with his curve, his slider, his fastball, and his changeup. And, you know, Although the peripherals on his numbers last season, they weren't the most eye-popping. But if you look at it, across the board, he wasn't relying on one pitch over the other. He was going to all four. He's going to, you know, he gets, and for me, I think that shows that he wasn't intimidated at the major league level. So the fact that he has that, I think he can be more advanced than a lot of the guys. The fact that he does have four pitches that he can throw consistently. So I I think that's going to play huge for him. I hope so for my dynasty shares, that's for sure. Uh, The Reds have a really interesting young pitcher, and it's not Hunter Green. It's Nick Lodolo. I like him. Why do you like him? I was looking, um, you know, another left-handed pitcher. I I feel like a lot of times we talk about prospects. There's so many right-handed pitchers, but with uh, Lodolo, I really like the fact that he, again, I I hit on this a lot, his size, 6'4 frame, and the thing is with him, he may not – he may not blow you away, but he has that ability to constantly throw strikes. He's not afraid to, you know, make a pitch in the strike zone. He's like, fine, here's my best pitch. Go ahead and try to beat me. But I, I like that. I like that he does have a slider and a curve. And, I mean, if, if you look at it, again, he pitched double A and triple A. The numbers weren't the greatest. But, again, he missed an entire season the season before, like everyone else. But I like his pedigree. I like the fact that he's a strike thrower. We saw, see a lot of guys get called up. They're high-velocity guys. But again, it doesn't really matter if you're not throwing strikes. So for me, he's a guy that I think if he gets called up in this rotation, another he'll be playing on another team that he's not in any way going to lose those innings. So he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. And, and he's the number 131 overall prospect.
Yeah, I mean, he was excellent in double-A last year. Just triple-A struggled a little bit, but it was only six innings. Um, you know, I'm not going to put that much stock into that. Um, definitely with you on him not beginning the season necessarily with the Reds, but certainly an opportunity to get called up and to make a big impact with that um, big frame that he has. He was actually drafted in the first round twice, if you can believe it or not. He was drafted by the Pirates in 2016 out of high school, decided to go to college, and when he was then drafted in the first round by the Reds. So uh, clearly he's been highly touted for quite some time. We're going back uh, almost six years now. So that is pretty um, cool stuff right there for sure. Uh, Over to Mackenzie Gore. Gore is a guy who I personally have had a lot of shares of in Dynasty Leagues, uh, drafted in the first round, third overall by the Padres in 2017, out of high school, had quite a strong minor league career too, posting a 2.85 ERA, uh, 1.10 WHIP, and an 11K per nine over 233 minor league innings. Going to begin the year in the minor leagues, especially after some struggles in AAA a year ago. But there's a very strong chance that Gore makes his a big league debut this year. Uh, not only because he's a top prospect for the Padres, but uh, this is a guy that has impact potential and the Padres current fifth starter is completely up in the air Uh, Chris Paddock could get it maybe Ryan Weathers could get it but Gore certainly has a chance if not right out of spring to at least get it at some point he's not going to cost you anything in the draft I would recommend using a final pick of the draft on and maybe putting him on your watch list because I think he's going to get called up at some point Kyle and it's kind of just been waiting in the wings yeah, I was disappointed last season. I was really hoping for him to get called up. But, I mean, in, in a way, they didn't have to start his service clock. So, and he does have, you know, three uh, three options left. So he's definitely going to start at AAA. Um, with him, there's no questioning the talent. I think he's arguably one of the best prospect pitchers in the game, if not the best. Um, with him, again, last year, only 20 innings pitch at AAA. And, you know, the numbers were not very good at all. But he did battle a lot of things, blisters, mechanical issues, and I I think that's one of the things with him. Young guy, he's had success at every level. So, you know, making adjustments is going to be the key and to really get his, um, uh, just to get him to to repeat his, uh, all his mechanics and, and everything. But, I mean, the talent's there. And like you said, too, if they need help, because this, I mean, look at the Padres last year. I think their downfall was their starting pitching. So if they can get his mechanical issues out of the way, get him feeling good, get his confidence level high, when he gets called up, he's going to stick. He is a pitcher that will not be sent down once he gets called up. And again, you look at the competition. It's a big thing for me. And I think sometimes people forget to do that in these situations. Paddock was terrible in the majors last year. Weather's not very good. Um, there really is an opening for Gore to be impactful, especially if the Padres are to compete as we expect them to. Um, he could be one of those guys that has a really nice jolt, gives a nice jolt to your team uh, midway point of the year and, and on. No, I'm still here. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, no, uh, I agree with that. And, and like I said, I mean, this team is poised for a postseason run. We know what they can do offensively. And again, that Achilles heel last season with injuries, 
what have you, was their pitching. So, you know, Gore goes, he's going to play huge, and he's going to have success really quick. I'm hoping so. Let's move things over to some players that are kind of must-haves for you, guys you already have some shares of or multiple shares of or guys you plan on having multiple shares of, whether it's based on skill, potential, ADP, et cetera. What do you got? Yeah, so I, my first guy, I mean, just to hit back on what we were talking about in the first part, Dylan Cease. I mean, I absolutely love the guy. I'm probably going to have to pay a premium this year to get him, especially after that season he had last year. But, I mean, just the, the stars are aligning with him. I mean, high-velocity guy, high-strikeout guy. I mean, his his first full season, 32 starts last year, 226 strikeouts. I think with him, uh, guys with those high velocity too, they gotta they gotta locate that fastball. Uh, I think if he can get ahead in the count and really blow guys away with a high fastball, because we know so many guys want to go after it, that's fine. We give up 20 home runs in 165 innings, so it wasn't a huge concern. But again, with him, I mean, just all the talent is there, and he is going to be one of the top pitchers in this White Sox. Uh, rotation yeah you're gonna have to pay a premium i can give you an example i'm in a 15 team draft and hold slow draft right now and i took cease as my sp2 fifth round 66th overall um if i didn't take him he would have gone the next five picks because there was three starting pitchers taken right after so um that's that's a pretty hefty price tag fifth round in a 15 teamer yeah it is but like you said uh i mean especially with me too He's the guy I want. If I have to draft him earlier, I'm going to draft him because I think that's how talented he is. Yeah, I mean, you don't get guys that are going to give you 200-plus strikeouts. They don't grow on trees necessarily. And he he did 226 in 165 innings last year. Uh, he might bump up to 185, 190 innings. He might bump up to 250Ks. He could be one or two in the American League in strikeouts. Oh, no, 100%. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, his his strikeout numbers are just astronomical. And, and I mean, now he's got that confidence under him. There's going to be some adjustments, but I, I think with his talent level, I, I just I don't think he's going to have any kind of issue. Same here, my man. So a guy I'm seemingly getting a lot of shares of right now is Luis Garcia from the Astros. Going around pick 150, but you can get him in the 10th round of your 15 teams or is, uh 12th or 13th round of the 12 teamers either way very solid value for a guy being drafted as probably an sp4 maybe an sp3 in some um places but fantastic for the astros last year performed even better in the postseason basically guaranteed for a rotation spot after the 2021 performance and kind of checks all the boxes he has command of multiple pitches has multiple out pitches uh shouldn't be on an innings limit pitches for a great team and he's just 25 years old so um what's not to like yeah no i think you hit the nail on the head right there with the fact that he's playing with the astros we know what they've been in the past few years and I think the fact that he can go in knowing he's going to have a rotation spot, you like the numbers, the strikeouts were there. And I think with him, too, being 25 years old, he's a little bit older. He's not 21. He's not 22. He's not 23. You know, he's been there. He's seen a lot. So, you know, with me, the strikeout numbers are good. He's pitching with uh, behind an offense that's going to give him run support. And, you know, it, it's with his ADP, too, I think that's extremely fair it's i think it's a perfect spot for him you don't have to you don't have to grab him extremely early you don't have to grab him late he's just in the perfect spot 
I definitely think so. I mean, I've even run into a situation where I didn't want to take him, even though it was so valuable, because I had just gone for Amber Valdez as my SP3 and didn't want to double up on Astro's arms. But I don't think it's a bad thing to do that. No, not at all. Um, I, I remember in years past, it, it reminds me of, uh, I was in a league with a guy that went Randy Johnson and Brandon Webb. Those were his two starters, and they carried him the entire way and he won the league. So, I mean, don't ever be afraid of doing that. It's it's not like other sports where you're thinking about it. You have two wide receivers from the same team. You're afraid that one guy's going to get looks, the other one's not. Well, when a guy's a starting pitcher, he's going to get the innings, he's going to get the strikeouts, and he's going to get the Ws. Uh, he certainly is, and he's going really – I really like exactly where he's going because – you get the the Shane Baz and the Lance McCullers and the Pablo Lopez's, Carlos Rodon's, Chris Bassett's of the world. And then after that, you get your Ian Anderson and Luis Garcia, both of whom I like probably more than all the other guys I just named. Yeah, um, I agree. I'm a big fan of Ian Anderson, too. And I, I think, I mean, now he's a World Series champion, too. So uh, getting a guy like him as well, where he's going, I think that's extremely 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 um great for his uh adp and you know he's been there now there's i mean there's really nothing that's going to catch him off guard either definitely i'm looking at grabbing him as an sp4 at about pick 126 in that draft and hold i was telling you about another guy who i know you want to talk about is james caprillion a guy who i've been following for a very long time back to his yankee days uh, got some shares of him last year when he finally did make it to the big leagues. Uh, traded a mid-round pick in a dynasty league to kind of get him for some pitching depth. And overall, I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, um, I mean, he finally, I mean, again, he's a guy that's a little bit older for only having a year, 27 years old. But again, he spent a lot of time in the minors. I like the fact to just, you know, going back to this thing, when it comes to starting pitchers, these guys that have more than two pitches in their repertoire, it's going to play huge. And for him, first time there, 119 innings pitch, 123 Ks. And, you know, for me, 41 walks, not bad. Um, his whip is a little bit higher, but I think the adjustments are going to be made. And for a guy that's, again, he's not going to lose his spot in the rotation. He's going to get the innings. I think now you can see him ramp up that the uh, the work for him. He was at 119 last season. I think you can see him right around that 165, 170, or even north of that. Um, again, his ADP. 342. So I feel like people are kind of shying away from him, but not me because I liked what I saw. I think he has the talent there. He has the experience now, and it's the fact that he has five pitches. I think that is huge for a starting pitcher. It definitely is. The ADP is great, and also you got to love his home ballpark in Oakland. Look at the splits from a year ago. On the road, over a 4.8 ERA, but at home in Oakland, man, 3.28 um, more than a K per inning, whereas on the road he was not. Uh, opponent's batting average just 220 at home compared to 245 on the road. So clearly he is a much better pitcher in Oakland, which is not all that surprising, but definitely something to keep an eye on, especially if you're in those leagues where you can change your lineup more than just once a week. Um, you know, have him in there. If he's a two-start pitcher, potentially it's great, but maybe he has one road start, one home start. Get him in for his home starts for sure. And you can, you can do that because of where you're drafting him, too. You're not spending a high pick on him where it's like, no, I need this guy pitching every time. If he makes 25 starts and maybe 14 of them are at home, I want him for all 14 of those home starts, and we'll figure it out for the road starts. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's 
that's the key right there. The fact that he's playing or pitching in a pitcher's ballpark, kind of similar to you know guys like Mackenzie Gore, that when they get called up, they're going to be pitching in San Diego. Those are the guys you want. If they're successful at home and that ADP is perfect, that's fine. And again, you don't. If you say he's going into Fenway or he's going into New York to face the Yankees, okay. You want to you want to send him? That's fine. But I mean, like you said too, if you're getting more than half of his starts in Oakland, that is perfect. Couldn't agree more with you. How about Hunjin Ryu, man? He's really fallen down draft boards from a year ago. He's going around pick two hundred in places. Um, I understand he had struggles in the second half of last season, but he's really, for the most part, always pitched at a high level. He's going to keep your ratios down. He's going to strike out around a batter per inning, rack up wins, especially on a very good Blue Jays ball club. The one downfall to him throughout his career has been some injuries, dealt with a lot of them in 16 and 17, um, and even 18, but then put together his best, most complete season in 2019, signed with the Jays as a free agent from the Dodgers, and hasn't dealt with any serious injuries since. So maybe the injury history is just history. It might not no longer be a problem, but either way, with him going as late as he is in drafts, uh, this guy is high-end SP3 to low-end SP2 upside still, and his draft price, again, over the past few years has been top 75, top 100, where it was kind of hard for him to return value, whereas now, if he can even give you 22, 23 starts, he's going to return serious value at ADP 200. Yeah, I think that's one of the things too. I mean, 2020 was his, you know, his first year in Toronto. But we got to remember they only played 60 games, and you know, if you look at his numbers across the and board, and it wasn't even in Toronto, right? Correct, correct, and yeah, exactly. And you know, you look at it: 12 games started, 2.69 ERA, and you know, his WHIP was 1.15. Only gave up six home runs. That's solid. Now I, I get it. Now you know, fast forward to 2021, they started off in Buffalo and then they wound up going back into Toronto. But, you know, for me, that's something that is going to happen when you're pitching in Toronto, you can get hit. We've seen it time and time again. It is a hitter's ballpark, but I think with him too, being a veteran, like he is, he's going to make the necessary adjustments. He's going to have to as well, especially playing in that AL East. But again, with his ADP, you know, where it is, it's later on in drafts. That's fine. You know, I, I, you know, I, I'm big into later in the drafts looking at some young arms, but the same can be said with the veterans. If you can get veterans at a great price later in the drafts, get it. And, you know, he has the track record. He's been successful. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to pitch. He's going to rack up the strikeouts. And the thing with him, too, I get it that the numbers were a little – a, a little north of what you'd like to see, but it's still 143 strikeouts, only 37 walks. So he doesn't walk a lot of guys. His issue is if he's not striking him out, he can get hit. So again, it's going to be adjustments for him. And I think now having, you know, a full season under his belt in the AL East, he's going to be able to remember what he's seen against guys that he's faced within his division. So I think he's a guy that could be sneaky that, you know, you're getting him later in the rounds but he like you said he has that talent where he could finish you know as putting up numbers like a one or two starter last year he entered the season as the jays number one he enters this season as their number three maybe even number four behind barrios and manoa which means he might get better matchups against opposing pitchers i mean there's a lot of things to like and probably being drafted again sp5 maybe even sp6 in your 12 teamers and could easily return new SP3 production. 
Yeah, and uh, I, I think that was great to bring up too. Now, I mean, th- there could be the stress on there. You're, you're going as the number one. You're going to see the other team, especially when you start a season or, excuse me, uh, a weekend series going up against their top starter. Well, now, I mean, the pressure is not there. He can go in, just do what he's been doing pretty much his entire career and, and just go from there. Yeah, currently with the Dodgers, he was never number one when there's a guy named Clayton Kershaw there. That's right. Uh, so before we wrap things up, I want to get your thoughts on the current situation with the lockout. I mean, I know they plan on meeting every day next week. There was a lot of talk about this. Oh, they only met for 15 minutes um, last week. And, you know, there's a lot of mixed reviews. Some people are like, oh, well, you know, it was just because they had to lay things out. Now they're going to go back, discuss, come back in. And there's other people who are like, oh, we're doomed. We're not getting baseball. They only met for 15 minutes. They hate each other. Yeah, the whole situation, and I, I, I think what I can't comprehend is the fact that why wait till the last minute when you know that you have your CBA about to expire? Why, why does it have to start negotiations? That's the art of negotiation, man. It's waiting yeah, right, till the last right. minute, so, putting pressure on the other side. You know, I was thinking about it, and you know, I have my feelings towards both sides. Um, I, I, I think the pros and cons on both sides. I understand it, but you know, I really started to think deeply about it and one of the things that's kind of weird to me we were talking last weekend before we got on uh, about kumar rocker out of vanderbilt and he didn't get his signing bonus uh with the mets so he you know he went on sign he didn't even sign with them and we were like well what's he gonna do is he he's not going back to vanderbilt is he gonna take the season off is he going to pitch in an independent ball and i saw reports this week that said he's probably going to pitch independent ball and there's a lot of reasons behind it a so he's facing live hitting. B, he doesn't want teams to think that there is some kind of issue. And I'm like, wait a second. Okay. Think of it this way. Baseball is kind of archaic. You can't trade draft picks, you know, and, and everything's pretty much set in stone like that, which I think is an issue. I think all of this comes down to competitiveness. I think if every team was competitive, we probably wouldn't have a whole lot of these issues going on with the negotiations. Well, what if, teams you know when it came to kumar rocker if he's you know he's going to be a top five pick top 10 at the at the at the minimum so that means probably 10 teams are the only ones whose medical staff is going to see him he's not going to fall you can't you can't trade draft picks so you're not going to probably have all 30 teams look at him well is no one going to bring this up in negotiations? I think this can set a huge precedent. Oh, I you, believe it actually is being brought up. Maybe not Kumar Rocker himself, but right, the draft pick trading. This, this, yeah, this specific incident. And, I mean, too, if you're allowed to trade draft picks, I think you're going to see a lot more. You're going to see, you know, uh, you can see these teams that have issues in terms of drafting talent. Well, if you stockpile draft picks, you're going to see guys that have been, you know, uh, basement dwellers for a long time kind of rebound like that. And then, too, you won't have issues like this where the Mets say, oh, we didn't like his medical. Only 10 teams saw it. I mean, only one team saw it. Well, if he was going through medicals through all 30 teams, I guarantee, A, someone would catch it if there really was an issue and, if they brought that up and that wasn't true, no one else saw it, then it clearly came down to money. So, you know, I, I just thought that was really interesting that that's not being brought up in the media. And I, if I was going to the table too, I think that is something they need to look into. So I think it's about time that MLB gets on, you know, on par with these other, other leagues in terms of draft pick training, except the NBA, because I think is the dumbest thing that any 
pick you trade has any protection. I if you're trading to pick, you're trading to pick. If it's top two pick, top five, or we're number one overall, so be it. Yeah, I mean it shouldn't be protected. I'm with you, but the NBA is weird in general with only two rounds, right? Um, I mean baseball, there's so many rounds. I also think there wouldn't have to be a limit. Like you can only trade your top ten picks because like what's like how how do you even put value on like a round 38 pick you know um i do think though that it would help with the competitive balance and think that's a great point because uh teams like the orioles and the pirates uh who had been good at one time when fell back down and now they're awful again i mean how are they going to get better without stockpiling those picks as you mentioned yeah and 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 one other thing too i i think it comes down to i think the league will be better, too, for everyone if every team's competitive. I mean, if you talk to someone that doesn't watch baseball, you tell them the name of a baseball team, you know what they're going to name. They're either going to see the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, say the Cardinals as well, or the Cubs. But my Maybe the Braves because they just won a World Series. That is true. Yes, that is true, too. And but, but my point is, too, I think they should do away with the international budget. I think anyone under or 23, 24 or under – International players should have to enter the first-year player draft. I think this gives all teams a chance to go after prospects, too. I mean, maybe yeah, I get I get you don't want to punish the team that has great scouting departments, but at the same time, too, I mean, look at when a guy's posted from Japan. You have to pay his team. You're essentially buying out his contract before he can be posted, and then teams are bidding, and there's usually the three same teams bidding on him. Well, if those guys have to enter the draft, well, there you go. Now you open the door to every team having the potential to sign a guy. Yeah, and it makes those draft picks you might have acquired, if they're tradeable, that much more um, exciting. And also, not only does it give teams extra draft picks, but it also prevents some of the better teams from necessarily having picks to continue to restock and And, repile. Yeah, no, and to hit on that too, I mean, think about, we are talking about a guy like James Caprillion. He sat in the Yankees minor league system for a very long time and you know i mean we see this time and time again we see a service issue we see teams that have uh, all the talent at the major league level or you see guys playing certain positions where there's a log jam they get they can't get called up well what have these guys played for teams like your baltimore's your kansas cities your pittsburgh well they're going to get called up a lot sooner too so i think again i think this comes down to competitiveness if you have these guys that or I should say these teams that all have a chance to get a certain player, I think this opens the door to seeing guys getting called up, not seeing your service time manipulated as well. Yep, and of course also changing the payout structure for the first few years as well will change 100%. that. 100%. I mean, there's so many things. Um, I think extending the playoffs, making letting more teams get in each league would make it more competitive. I mean, I've always thought um, having some sort of seven teams getting in where the top team in the league, in each league, would get a bye and the others play best of three series. Um, instead of just the one game wild card, the other six teams, uh, two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five, best of three, the higher seed hosts all three games or two games, whatever it is, that getting seven teams in each league into the playoffs means teams are in it for that much longer. Yeah, no, I, again, what you're hitting on too, the more teams you get in, the more you know uh, competition we're going to see and guys aren't going to start throwing games to get a better draft pick. You're not going to... You know, yeah, also, also think about how much more it means to be that top team. Yes. Not 100%. have to play in that best of, of five. I don't, I don't mean to backtrack a whole lot, but you said, too, guys getting paid sooner. 
Well, what's, what's the one of the main issues, right? Service time, guys want to get paid sooner rather than entering their first time being able to go get a long-term deal at 29.30. And then on the other side, you get these owners that don't want to pay. Like, think about Albert Pools. He's getting paid a lot of money at age 39, 40, 41. I mean, look at the numbers. You just, you're just you not going to be able to put up the numbers you did when you're you know, in your, your 20s, let alone your early 30s. So, again, if you have guys getting called up, they're going to get contracts sooner. Then you're going to have these owners that aren't going to have to pay guys in their late 30s, early to mid 40s at this point because we're seeing athletes last longer. So I think it just, again, I think going to the table, it just need, they need to look at competition. That's what can hear all of this every team being competitive. I'm with you. And if, I mean, when we say every team, we don't actually expect every team to Correct. win between like 70 and 90 games, but maybe 22 or 23 teams have a chance to make the playoffs going into the year rather than like handpicking five to six from each league. Exactly. That is exactly what I'm saying. I mean, wow, that would be pretty, that would, I mean, <laughs> that's like saying that every team in the NFL would have a good starting quarterback, right? So yeah, yeah, exactly. Bad, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, any final thoughts on pitching in general here? No, uh, I'm excited. I just, I just want these guys to get spring training. I, I mean, they've already 2020. A lot of these minor league guys didn't have a spring training. The pros paid or they didn't have a season in general. The pros, they played 60 games last year. A lot of these stadiums didn't have any fans. You know, and now they're pushing back spring training again. So who's suffering in the end? The fans. So just get this figured out. Please. Yeah, we are definitely suffering. We want baseball. We want it now, folks. This has been the Counting Stats Podcast. That was Kyle Amore. I'm Lou Landers. The podcast brought to you by DrRoto.com. Go check out our fantasy baseball draft guide. Dominate your competition. Thanks for tuning in to the Counting Stats Podcast. I'll catch you next time.